back to you, ask for it. Uh, if it's your first time with us, Pastor Steve and I, sometimes we walk through your questions. Sometimes we walk through just doctrine or just practical things about the Christian life. And today we are finishing a series on the Apostles' Creed, the oldest statement of faith that we have in the history of the church. And I want to begin um, the the podcast tonight by quoting a verse that our church, First Baptist Hendersonville, quotes every single Sunday because it really does state the gospel in one verse. For our members here, if you want to, you can say it with me because we do it every single Sunday as well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Our focus is going to be on the very last part of the verse, everlasting life. This is how the Apostles' Creed ends, is by talking about everlasting life. Uh, Al Mohler, in his book on the Apostles' Creed, said, The creed ends not with a whimper, but with a bang. It declares the truth of what we believe as Christians about the end time, the resurrection of our bodies, and the life everlasting. This is important. We would say that we do not have Christianity without this last portion of the Apostles' Creed. It's, it's essential for our faith. Daryl Dash, who's a pastor in Toronto, said this about, about that phrase. If our Christianity doesn't include these words, I believe in the resurrection of the body and in the life everlasting, then we have nothing. I don't know why we have lost these truths when we need them most, but it's time to recover them. We need these truths. Now listen to this. If Christianity can't handle the accident site, the cancer ward, the funeral home, then it's not worth anything. And then he ends with this quote. If death was no big deal, then there would be no reason to be a Christian. Wow, that's good stuff. Mm. And yet, uh, back in the days before the conservatives were able to recapture our convention and we had liberals that were teaching in some of our schools, I actually had a religion professor who taught Old Testament at a Baptist college. And he said this. I was in the class when he said it. He said, when you die, that's it. There's no life after death. And then he added this phrase. The bones of Jesus are bleaching somewhere in Palestine right now. So he did not believe it. So I went up to him afterwards and I said, Dr. Joins, I'm not going to ask you why you're a Baptist. i got to ask you, why do you call yourself a Christian if you don't believe in life after death and you don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead? And he said, well, because I believe in the Judeo-Christian ethic and the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, my next paper was how there is no basis for Judeo-Christian ethic without life after death. <laughs> Why in the world would you do all that stuff if, if, if you weren't going to stand before God one day? Well, think about this, Pastor Steve, real quick. Even with in the world that we live in today, the 70s and 80s were a very different time in our nation than even now. Imagine if the only reason you were a Christian was because of the Judeo-Christian ethic. Hmm. What are you going to hold on to in our world today where There's that's no definitely ethic. not accepted? Yeah, it's not accepted even to hold on to that. Right. If you don't have life everlasting and the proof of the resurrection, well, then look what at do you Hawaii. Have? We've, they've they've yes. already found about a hundred bodies. Hmm. You know, like I said, Christianity's got to hold up at the side of a fire, hmm. a cat, cat, you know, catastrophic fire. Amen. Well, I think that right now, because we are a secular world where so many deny life after death that probably the anthem for the secular world was written by St. John Lennon. Uh, it's, a, it's a song he wrote after the Beatles broke up called Imagine. Let me read you his words. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Ooh, ooh, 
ooh, ooh, ooh. You're a couple octaves too low right there, so the next one you bring it up. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for, and no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say that I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us. And the world will be as one. If we can just get people stop believing in God, stop believing in life after death, stop believing in religion, we'll all be one. Well, can I tell you what happened in the 20th century? There were major parts of the world that were controlled by a group that did not believe that God exists, did not believe in life after death, that, that based everything they had on this life alone. It was called communism. And according to a study where they went through the different countries, and I'm not going to list each country individually, 94 million people were put to death under communism in the 20th century. So rather than let's sing Kumbaya and make the world a better place, what you have is some of the greatest atrocities happened when they threw away belief in God and threw away belief in the afterlife. I think the way that the creed ends is so important because it ends with a statement that every one of us need to hear. And that is this, that death is not the final word, that there is life everlasting. Think about how that changes everything. Mm -hmm. If death is not the final word, then think about the hope that that gives you. Jesus talks about this in, in John chapter five. He says, truly, I tell you, anyone who hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And will not come under judgment, but is passed from death to life. Think about that. If you hear my words and you believe them, you have life. And then Paul, in the last letter that we have from him, that he wrote from a jail cell um, before we know later on, you know, of his death, he wrote it to his protege, Timothy. And here's how he writes his last letter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. He is an apostle of God's will for the sake of the promise that he has of life. And then look at verse 10. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Our faith is built on this proof yeah, of life. That he abolished death. Yes, you know, Justin, we're, we're listening to a podcast now together, uh, whatever happened to First Baptist about First Baptist Jacksonville. I've been, oh, I'll tell you, I've never heard so much of the truth that I need to hear. And uh, we've got to be constantly examining how we do ministry, uh, how are we going to do it now. What worked at Jacksonville in the 90s would not work today. And so you've got to constantly be open. Well, there's a book that I read by Brian Fraser. And he basically said, if you diagnose society, we've got to, our way that we approach people with the gospel needs to change. He says that what we have in our society now, because we've thrown away the Bible for, for several generations, is that there's no sense of ethics, there's no sense of sin, and therefore there's no sense of guilt. And he quoted, to back this up, when Paul said, it wasn't until the law that I understood what sin was. Well, we've been several generations where people haven't been, we've basically been said, do whatever you want. There's nothing that's right or nothing that's wrong. And so if you go to the, the way we've traditionally done our evangelistic methods in America is we start with sin and guilt. We, you need somebody to pay your sin debt. Well, there's a whole lot of folks in our culture that feel no sin debt, that feel like they, they have no guilt at all. So we're not 
bringing the gospel to bear where they want to hear. And this doesn't cause their ears to pick up. But, but if you take this and compare it to how missions have been done in other places, and we've got missionaries in the room right now. Uh, if you go to the, the, the technical word is animist places, that's the, the prim, more primitive places that believe in the presence of evil spirits. Their felt need is they need someone who will protect them from the evil spirits. My missions professor, Dr. Guy, went to Bangladesh and he started handing out. He had a year's furlough from teaching. And so he uh, went to village villages, village says, took the elders, said, if you'll read this book. This will keep the evil spirits from destroying you and your children. It'll give you protection. They said, give us the book and we'll read it. And he gave them the Gospels about Jesus who conquered the demons. So that would be the hook for that culture. We have, uh, we have a missionary from our church from, with the IMB now that's beginning his work learning the language in Japan. A lot of the Asian countries are more shame-based cultures. It's not so much about legal debt cultures. Well, Gerald, you've lived over there. But that's, you know, um, Dave said that when he was visiting Japan, that to get on the subways, there was often a delay. And what caused the delay? Somebody jumped in front of the tracks because they felt like they had shamed themselves or their parents or whatever. So, so we can talk about how, here's how Jesus can remove your shame and restore your dignity. So there is a, a sense in which what we can do. So what he said is this, in a secular country like ours, we ought to start with everlasting life because the one thing that everybody in our nation knows is we're going to die. And that's a scary thought. And we can come and bring them that truth. I believe in life everlasting. And it came through the one who conquered death. I think that's got some insight that we need to to have. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, well, and you've talked about some of this with a culture today that just sees sin as, you know, how dare you say that to me? Mm-hmm. They're all still looking for life. Oh, and yeah. so if you can get to the life first, then you can tell them why the life was necessary. Uh, let's, end, let's end the podcast this way. Why is it then that we Christians look forward to life everlasting? Why do we hold on to this? We've got a couple of, of reasons for you. First of all, the promise of heaven. That is good news for us, is it not? Now, if we were honest, we often have wrong ideas about heaven, and if not boring ideas. If you've watched cartoons, it's, you know, all of a sudden we become babies again, and we're in a toga sitting on a cloud playing a harp. <laughs> that doesn't sound very fun, does it? Al Mohler, he talks about um, his first recollections of heaven when he was a boy. He said, I can remember as a child hearing people talk about heaven and being worried that it was like sitting in a pew for eternity. <laughs> That's terrible. Yeah, not fun. He said, I loved coming to church, but I couldn't imagine sitting any longer than I had to sit. My mind was tempted to wander in so many different directions as my feet were dangling over the pew, unable to even touch the floor. I can remember hearing about heaven and being unable to imagine it. Indeed, Christians can actually not look forward to heaven, um, especially if we are unbiblically, if thinking unbiblically of heaven, which many Christians do. Our unbiblical conceptions of the, of the eternity um, come to betray us. So here's what he's saying. Sometimes life in the future doesn't seem sweet if we have wrong understandings of what waits for us in life in the future. Uh, um, Benjamin Myers made a great point in his book about the Apostles' Creed. He said, you cannot make life better just by increasing its quantity. That's right. right? If it's a boring heaven, forever sounds terrible, right? He says, no, what matters most is its quality. This is exactly what Paul argues for in Philippians chapter one. 
He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, but I'm torn between the two. He says, I long to be with Christ, which is far better. What does he understand eternity to be with Christ? It is far better than anything now. Here's how Moeller once again puts it. Heaven is not a place of less. It is a place of infinitely more. All the good things known in this life will either be amplified infinitely in the life everlasting or they will be transcended by things that are infinitely better. That is the heaven that we are waiting for. Yeah. And, you know, let me just say this honestly. I, I, I have settled the issue that, that heaven is real. And even as I have faced things in the past and in the future, that's not a problem because I've got heaven so, sewed up. Hallelujah. But... I will say this. I'm not one of those that's going through life saying, oh, this life is so bad. Let's just eat some worms and sit in the corners. Swing low, sweet Jerry. Come and get me. Uh, you know, I, I, Jesus said, I came to give you abundant life. Uh, I love the joy, the laughter we're having here tonight. I love the beauty. We live in the mountains. I love the love that I've tasted and experienced. But here's what you need to know. If you like beauty... Think of how much better it's going to be in heaven. If you like joy, think of how much better it's going to be in heaven. If you think you've been loved now, wait till you get to heaven. It's infinitely more. In fact, one of the things I love on another note about what we're going to experience in heaven is when John got a picture of heaven in John 21, verse 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city and the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. I have done over 700 weddings. And somehow every bride that comes down the aisle is just gorgeous. So he said, I'm trying to figure out to tell you how beautiful heaven was. It's like a bride who's walking down the aisle. Hmm. And then he said, I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them and they will be his people and God will be with him and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. John got excited about what he didn't see in heaven. I've got a funeral tomorrow. I've got another one that I'm meeting with a family to, to set another funeral. I've got another one already scheduled. You know what? not doing any more funerals in heaven. Hallelujah. Amen. Yeah. I've been at the, at, at the hospitals today several times, stood by people in hard times. Not going to be a hospital in heaven. Hmm. I've heard people talk about their aches and pains. That's just the occupation of people as we get older. We give organ recitals. We talk about how our <laughs> organs are doing. This is what we do for entertainment. <laughs> Never heard that one before. That was pretty good. So there you go. <laughs> We, it's not going to be any pain in heaven. No tears. I've met with people who are heartbroken. There's no tears in heaven. Thank God for that. Uh, yeah, I mean, just think about what that means. And that should overwhelm us right now, shouldn't it? Mm-hmm. I, I, that's why we look at someone like Paul in Philippians 1 where he says, to be with Christ is far better. Amen. I mean, you see that there. Finally, here's one other reason why we look forward to everlasting life is that not only do we get to be with God in heaven for eternity, we will also have new glorified bodies. Yeah, I believe in the resurrection of the body and yes, the life everlasting. Absolutely. 1 Corinthians 15 is called the resurrection chapter. And let me read to you some excerpts from that chapter. Starting in verse 42, it says, So it is with the resurrection of the dead, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. 
sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power, sown in natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And then we'll go to verse 51. Listen, I am telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of the eye of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed for this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory and where death is your sting. Think about that. That is the body that is waiting for us, a body that is perfect, a body that doesn't deal with any of the pain from this world, a body that looks like Jesus' resurrected body. J.I. Packer says this, that in the raising of believers, God completes their redemption by, not, by the gift, not of their old bodies somehow patched up, but of new bodies fit for new men. Here's what this means. That means that our resurrected, glorious, physical body will have some continuity with our body right now. But there will, however, be a stark discontinuity between the, um, between the old perishable, perishable body and the new eternal body. Here's what I mean by this. What is weak is going to give way to power. What is dishonorable is going to give way to honor. What is natural will be transformed into spiritual, and what is perishable will give way to an imperishable body that will never see or taste death. That is the bodies that are waiting for us, bodies that will live forever with our God. First John chapter 3, verse 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. I'm going to close by reading to you a letter by a great pastor from the past, a man named Sam Shoemaker. It was in his church that AA first was formed. So he was a very innovative evangelistic pastor. And when he was dying and he knew he finally was so weak, he'd never be back to his church. He wrote this letter to be read in the pulpit before he died. As I sit in the study on a beautiful, cool August afternoon, I look back with many thanks. It's been a great run. I wouldn't have missed it for anything. Now, much could and should have been better, and I have by no means done what I should have done with all that I've been given. But the overall experience of being alive has been a thrilling experience. And I believe that that death is a doorway to more of it. Clearer, cleaner, better with more of the secret opened than locked. That's what we've got to look for. More of it. Clearer, cleaner, better. If that doesn't lift your souls up today, then I don't know what will as we study this life everlasting. I pray that after you listen to this podcast, or for those sitting in this room, that you, when we leave here later on tonight, that you feel that, and that just supplies you with hope in your very soul. Thank you for joining us for this last podcast on the Apostles' Creed. If you, um, if you do listen to us regularly, you'll hear us start a new series last, uh, next week, but I'll save that for next Wednesday. Thank you for joining us.